0: Lord, we want to commit ourselves and the things that concern us, and especially this time this morning, as we look at your word, Lord, I pray that the truth you want each of us to grasp and to lay hold of, we would be able to do that now, in Jesus' name. You guys ever wonder why, uh, why God does what he does? And not only what he does, but maybe this morning thinking uh, concept or theme this morning. Why he does what he does when he does it. That is on God's timetable. What's the guiding force about when God chooses to do something? What's behind the timetable for God? What's behind that? <clears throat> just think. I'm just going to cover a few issues on this this morning. We'll obviously focus on the incarnation. But think back on... Israel in Egypt. You remember that uh, Israel spent a number of years in Egypt and, and then finally they're crying out, you remember, and God picks that guy named Moses and sends him in as a deliverer. But remember they've been there over 400 years and no deliverer came. Why did God send Moses when he did and not a deliverer sooner? Why did he wait? What was the deal with the, the time period? What determined the time of the exodus in God's economy? Or closer to home right now in this month, why did the incarnation, why did Jesus descend from heaven to earth, why did it happen when it happened? Why did it happen earlier or later? What was the guiding influence behind the timetable in which God sent his son to the earth? Or later yet, in Jesus' life, remember he lived a pretty short life, Why did he wait so long in his short life before he started his public ministry? Why did God set about 30 years old as the time in which Jesus made himself publicly known? Why didn't it happen earlier? If you and I were plotting this and we wanted to get the most bang for our buck, so to speak, with the Messiah on earth, we'd get him rolling as early as we could. But God didn't. waited almost to the end of his short life on earth. What's with God's timetable? What's he up to? What's behind this? there's lots of things God's up to, of course. But related to this timetable, what I want to suggest this morning is this, that God has this concept that, that we'll describe as the fullness of times or in the fullness of times. This is a key phrase in the scripture and especially the text we'll start with this morning. But when God's plotting his timeline, he takes into account this concept that he doesn't start something new until the thing before it has been filled up, until it's been completed in a manner in which only God knows. But God deals with this concept called the fullness of time, or in the fullness of times. If you want to, you can turn to a passage. We won't be spending a lot of time in it, but we'll start there. And that's that famous Christmas passage in the epistle to the Galatians. Are you with me, Stan? Yeah. You know, we normally don't, don't think of Galatians as a Christmas passage, but there's a, there's a key Christmas passage in Galatians. It's in Galatians 4, verse 4. <clears throat> when Paul wrote to the Galatians, he's writing to the church that's mixed up, and they're mixed up about what purpose does the law of Moses serve for us? We've trusted in Christ, but now what does that mean? Do I still keep the law of Moses as some means of righteousness, or did Christ pay for it all? What's this all about? So when Paul writes to the Galatians, he's trying to straighten them out on this thing about the law. And what he's trying to get them to understand is that the law was only this temporary helper or a temporary means of getting them to a fuller salvation, a salvation that the Messiah would bring about. And that's what he's talking about, the law and the Messiah in Galatians 4. And he wrote, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. If We say, God, why did you send Jesus when you did? Paul says, When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son. He didn't send Jesus any sooner because the time was not filled up. The time leading up to the Messiah's appearance had not been fulled in God's economy. It wasn't quite done yet, like baking a cake or filling up a cup. The Greek term for for fullness here is pleroma. pleroma. When you read Matthew and Luke, if you read scriptures that say Jesus did this so the scripture might be fulfilled. It's this root from, that Pleroma comes from. Uh, this is repeated several times, especially in Matthew and Luke's Gospels. But it's the thought that something is filled up, it's completed, it's brought to its completion, its consummation, its limit. So Paul says, when the times leading up to the Messiah were all filled up, when God looked down and say, said, Everything I wanted to have accomplished before I sent my son was fully done, fully consummated, then and only then did He send His Savior, His Son, into the world. It was only in the fullness of time that God sent His Son. Now, think back to the time before Jesus' birth. Uh, you know, you can go back as far as you want. The promise, the first promise of a Savior is Genesis 3, right after the fall. And God tells Adam and Eve, I'll give you a son, a descendant, and he'll crush the serpent's head. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. So way back in Genesis 3, they knew God's going to send a Savior. So just imagine if you're just kind of perusing the ages of man or if you're living in that time <clears throat> and you're thinking, okay, well, Lord, times are bad. We're ready for that Messiah. Send him on down. And you know you could put yourself in any of the time, the history leading up to Jesus coming to the earth the first time and think the times look pretty full. Surely now would be a good time to send that Savior. Surely now would be a good time for the Messiah to show up. And this would be true... Most especially if you were in Israel, of course, where the promises are centered. But maybe you lived during Abraham's time, or maybe you lived in Egypt, or maybe you lived during the Babylonian captivity. But you can imagine all this time. If you were in those times, you would look and say, Gosh, God, isn't this a good time to send the Savior? Think of the 400 silent years. You remember the period... um, kind of historically that are lumped together, but from about 400 B.C. on, the silent years spiritually, meaning there's no what's considered authentic, recorded revelation from God to man in that 400 years. It's silent in that sense. But you know, you read the history of that time, it's incredibly tumultuous. The 400 years just preceding the birth of Christ, by the way, there's great books on this, Uh, F.F. Bruce's uh, New Testament (coughs) History, uh, Alfred Edersheim's uh, works on the Old and New Testament talk about this period. Uh, really great stuff you can read. Very accessible. Fun fun reading that tells you about this time. And you Remember this is the time when Alexander the Great rose up and conquered all the known world and then his world, his kingdom got divided up by four generals and Israel's right there in the middle of the general in the north in Syria, modern day Lebanon and Egypt in the south and Israel's getting hammered back and forth because they're the they're the battleground between two opposing armies and and you remember this is the period of the Maccabees by the way you can read first and second Maccabees as a historical lens on this time as well and for this brief period Israel has their own borders again they're ruling themselves again for this short period of time but that's all wiped away of course by the romans and can you imagine if you lived during any of these times you'd be saying well surely this is the time surely this is the time for god to send a Savior, and He, and he doesn't. And yeah, you ask yourself questions, does that mean He cares more about one generation than another? What's with that? Why didn't He send the deliverer a little sooner instead of a little later? What's with that timetable? Somehow, though, when God looks down from heaven, He doesn't stop one season or time or age and start another until He looks at that time and says, it's all filled up. It's full. Everything I wanted to accomplish in that time period is done. So that age is consummated. It's limited out, and now we're ready to move on. God's looking down from his perspective and his economy and his plans, and he's saying we don't move from A to B until A is all filled up. Have you guys ever gone, been part of a moving crew? You know, if somebody's moving from one house to another. And maybe you see this moving truck or this trailer in the street, and then it looks pretty big. But then you go inside their house, and you start looking at the stacks of boxes and the furniture and what have you, and you say to yourself, there's no way all that stuff's going to go in that truck or that trailer. But then, you know, one of the guys that's done a lot of moving, what does he do? He says, well, you know, no, we can make it fit. And so he loads, you know, from stem to stern, from top to bottom or bottom to top, and Lo and behold, all that stuff that you thought there's no way, it's filled in there. And then the trailer really is filled up, and there's more in there than you would have thought ever could have been accommodated. You'd have thought, no, it's full a long time before it really was full. And I think sometimes that's our perspective. We, we look at our trailer, and we throw a thing in here or there, and we say it looks full. And God says, well, no, it's not full by a long shot. All my purposes haven't been accomplished. We're not done yet. <clears throat> One of the things I appreciate about Stan's godly character is that Stan has some concept about fullness. Have you ever seen Stan go through a buffet line? I'm serious. And pick up a plate. You know, I thought I knew what a full plate looked like, but man, Stan's godly because Stan knows what a really full plate looks like. You know, I go through a little of this. I don't want them to mix too badly. You know, I want my gravy, you know, to stay separate from my jello. But Stan's got the magic. He can make all that stuff fit. You know, two plates worth, in my mind, on one plate. But it's full plate. That's what we're talking about. God's looking and he says, no, that plate will handle a little bit more than that. Or have you been in someone's house and they serve really good coffee? Are we okay, Stan? Because <laughs> uh, you're a man after my own heart. I've got I to gotta learn more. If you've been in someone's house or at a coffee shop, if you're a coffee lover and you take that taste and that's really good coffee, and you know when you go back for seconds, how full do you want them to fill it up? You don't want it half full or a quarter full. or You want them to fill it as full as they can because you want that whole cup. You want all you can get in that coffee cup of that good coffee. Well, God's looking down from heaven in his economy and he knows when the cup's full or when the plate's full or whatever. And generally it's very often, maybe more often than not, It's long after we would have thought it should be over. Long after we thought that plate was full, no, God says, no, I've got some more things I'm going to heap on there for you. Or in history, on the big stage of history, or in your life or mine. God's filling up the times and the seasons of life on the world stage or in your life and mine before he moves on. We often... We want clues in, but the truth is God often He doesn't tell us what these times and seasons look like. Even on the stage of prophetic history, it's pretty fuzzy when one thing ends and another begins. We don't always get this very right. God says in Acts 17.26, when Paul's on Mars Hill and he's talking to the Greeks about God and God's righteousness in Christ, he said that God determined the time set for them, for the nations... Uh, Paul, it's like they're going around in the dark searching for God, but he's not far away. And God's determined the time that these nations are there and the the days of their searching. Paul says God's determined all those times beforehand. They didn't know how long they'd last. They didn't know what that would look like, but God did. God had determined them. Related to the end of the world, if you guys are prophecy buffs, if any of you are, you know for generations now, literally, Uh, people have been talking about the end of the world. That is, Christians who read passages like Daniel or Revelation or other passages look at the scene around us or look at Israel and the land and say, the time has got to be near. And in some some ways, certainly, it probably is. But we can't figure that out, the specifics of when God says it's fulfilled. We don't know. We we make our guesses, but we generally do a, a poor job of it. But God looks down, Paul says in Ephesians 1, related to when the world will end and when the universe will then be universally subject to King Jesus. Paul says this in Ephesians 1, He made known to us the mystery of His will, God's will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when, this is God's timetable, when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. It's it's not a date setting that God talks about. It's a fulfillment He talks about. So He says this earth time and earth history will only end when God looks down and says, it's all filled up. All my purposes are accommodated. Everything that I had in mind has been consummated. It's been limited out. Then, not a date, but this sense of fulfillment, when all that's been fulfilled, then... God says Jesus will rule sovereignly over the new heavens and the new earth, but not before. When you think of Christmas, the incarnation came, and it could only come when God could say this, the times are fulfilled. The time's all filled up, and now it's time to move to stage two, to the salvation plan to send my son to the earth. Going back to Israel and Egypt, you know, God didn't love those Jewish folks in Moses' day any more than he loved the Jewish folks before Moses. So what is it? What was it about the Exodus? Why did God wait until Moses, the time he did? And there's a verse in Genesis 15 that tells, in part, why God waited as long as he did. And it's this. God's made a covenant with Abraham. And he's telling Abraham what will happen in the future. And he tells Abraham, your children will be slaves in Egypt. For 400 years. And listen to this. You, Abraham, you'll go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old old age. Then in the fourth generation, generation here meaning 100 years, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It's not filled up. This is a little different sense. It's kind of a negative instead of a positive. But it goes like this. God says to Abraham, I'm giving you this land called Palestine after the Philistines of the day. Palestine. It's yours and it's your descendants. But I'm not giving it to your descendants right now. In fact, I'm not going to give it to them for over 400 years. Why? Well, apart from other considerations, at least because of this, because the sin of the Amorite is not yet filled up. The thinking goes something like this. The land that Abraham's descendants get, it's occupied land. And here, God uses one name, Amorites, which is one people group, to to represent all of the Gentile groups that were in the land God's giving to Abraham and his children. And he says, but you know what? I'm not going to give you this land just yet. When God does bring Israel in, it is in fact a judgment against the nations that are already there. But God says, I am not going to judge those nations just yet because I'm going to wait until the cup or the bowl, so to speak, of their sin is full. This sounds kind of gross. <clears throat> it's a merciful thing, not a bad thing, though. You know, God is, God is generally slow in judgment. He's slow to judge because he's merciful. He's characterized more by love, <clears throat> Excuse me, as the Christmas story shows. He sends his son, his cost, his expense, to save sinners like you and I. <clears throat> so he's slow to judge. Slow to judge. And he says about those Amorites and Canaanites and Philistines in the land he's going to give Abraham's descendants, he says, I'm not going to kick them out right now. I'm not going to judge them now. I'm going to wait. And I'm going to allow them this much sin, so to speak, this much iniquity. And you know, all those times and all those years were opportunity for all of those folks to, to what? To repent. This is what Peter says. You know, God's not slow about his promises, no. He's actually holding off because he's giving people the opportunity to change their mind towards him and be reconciled. So uh, this is interesting. This is interesting. God allows, in part, terrible suffering on the part of the Jews in Egypt because he's not willing to judge the Amorites yet because he's delaying judgment to give them opportunity to repent. This is an entirely different way of looking at God and judgment. You know, in in our culture, God gets a black eye. Uh, People think he's judgmental. Uh, He is good at judgment, and he's just, and he does judge, and that judgment is ultimately displayed in the crucifixion of his son. So God will judge sinners who reject Christ. It can't be otherwise. But he's slow about it. And if you take this perspective, God allowed the suffering of one group because he was unwilling to judge another group until he said, basically, I've put up with all I can. And the cup that I've allotted you for sin and iniquity, it's absolutely full. I can allow no more. And only then does he bring in Israel from Egypt. He waited until there there was this fulfillment in a negative sense, unfortunately, the sin or the iniquity of those folks that were already in Israel. But that's in part why they languished as long as they did in Egypt. It was because God looked at the nations that he was going to judge and said, it's not full yet. It's not quite time. Think, go back too to this question about why did Jesus, he's on the earth about 33 years, and we're just, this, these are all rough numbers, about 33 years, and he doesn't start his public ministry till he's 30. What's with that? You know, if I'm uh, an NBA player, I'm going to get in the NBA as soon as I can. I'm going to cut short my college career because I make more money. If I've got an investment or something that I see as a positive that I want to get going, I want to get it going as soon as I can. What's this deal with Jesus waiting until he's 30, about 30, with only three years, only one-tenth of his lifespan in public ministry? What's with that? Why did he wait that long? And again, it has to do with the sense of the times weren't filled up for him to display himself publicly. Listen to this out of Mark 1. After John the Baptist had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. When Jesus makes his debut on the public arena in Israel, he comes in saying, the time is fulfilled. Now, related to John the Baptist and the Old Testament and his public presentation of himself, John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. You remember Jesus says later of John, there's no one greater in the old economy than John the Baptist. Why? because he was the one that got to proclaim the advent of the Messiah. You know, Moses is great, but all Moses brought was the law, and the law condemns. Jesus says John was the greatest in all the Old Testament because he was the one, the forerunner, whom Isaiah talked about, who had announced the coming of the Messiah. It's only when the Old Testament, when that old economy of the law is absolutely fulfilled, even in Jesus' lifetime, with the imprisonment of John the Baptist, only then does Jesus begin his public ministry. It's only when the last period, so to speak, is put on the old covenant period that Jesus arrives on the public stage. So he couldn't have come in any any sooner because the time wasn't fulfilled. The Old Testament wasn't done. The last Old Testament prophet hadn't completed his discourse or his prophecy or his ministry. So Jesus waited until he was 30 because only with the conclusion of John's ministry was that period filled up. You know, it was like the last thing on the plate or it was like that last little pour of coffee in the cup. John the Baptist was that last little bit that God said, that's what has to happen before I make my son known. So the incarnation and then the public presentation of Jesus couldn't have happened any sooner because the times weren't fulfilled. <clears throat> you know, all of us, we live these lives on earth. You know, if we live 80 years, it's a long time, 90 years. Some, some of us attain 100 or more. But you know, in the large scheme of things, our lifetimes are, are really short. They're, they're blinks kind of on the larger world stage. Just blinks, very short. And our perspective gets skewed. And when we think about where we're at or what we're doing or what we want God to change in our life, it's predicated on these short lifetimes in which we're looking and we say, well, it looks pretty good. I'm ready to move on. And God just doesn't look that way. Ask yourself this Christmas season, just put on hold the thought about the meals and the company or the trips or the presents or whatever, and ask yourself this with the thought, that God works in time and in history on the big scale and on the small scale that we live in. He works on this concept of fulfilling things, filling them up, not moving on from one stage to another until everything God wants is poured out in there. Ask yourself this, what is God accomplishing in your life now? What part of your plate, so to speak, is still empty? What are the lessons He's wanting you to learn right now. Who are the people He's put in your life that He wants you to serve or to learn from or to encourage or to interact? Ask yourself from the perspective of fulfillment, what's God filling up in my life? This Christmas season, when I take a perspective and I realize that God does everything from a timetable, not necessarily date-driven, but fulfillment-driven, what is God filling up in my life? What is God about in my life? Uh, I know in the lives of several people, even in this group, uh, many of us are waiting for changes in our life. Uh, some, sometimes we have a hand in these things. Uh, some people will be finishing school soon or starting school, and those are timetables that we kind of have a pretty good handle on. You know, I'll, I'll graduate at this time, Lord willing, and I'll take a job or what have you, but. Others of us, I know, are looking at career changes. And, you know, our feeling goes something like this. Man, I've been ready to leave for a long time. Why can't I find that next job and that next career? And, Lord, I've looked in the paper and i beat the bushes and I can't turn anything up. And you know what I'd say? It's because God's not done with you where you're at. Your time is not fulfilled. Or sometimes in our group, this group or others, People you've met, young adults, who want to get married, sometimes in the worst way. And you know, they might say to themselves, I just want to get married. What's taking God so long? And I'd say at some level it's because the time is not fulfilled. Whatever God's doing in your life, it's not done yet. Or you'd be married if that's the next agenda for God in your life. You'll know or you meet or you'll know in the future people who want to have children, couples who want to have children, and they can't. Or it's a long time in between, and you know they're asking the same question. Lord, why is it taking so long? Why can't I have those children? And among other things, I can tell you at least this, it's because your life isn't fulfilled with what God wants to stick in it. If it was and he wants you to have kids, you'd be having them. So if you're not, it means God is still packing something into that portion of your life, whatever it is. Think of this, too. You and I often pray, and we want God to change some element of our life, where we're at, who we know, how much money we make, et cetera, et cetera. You know, too, though, God's working on both a large scale and a small scale. Sometimes the things we're praying about or looking for change for in our life, God doesn't bring them about. Not because he's not ready to bless us or, or give us some change, some heart's desire, but because what we're after affects a larger world than just what I'm looking at. You know, God's dealing with time and history and ages and seasons and with governments and nations. By the way, I forgot one of my, one of my examples, which I'll mention here in just a minute. So that oftentimes we're looking at something on our micro, small world scale, but God knows he can't do that because he's fulfilling something in the larger world that we're tied in with. And he needs our participation in a larger world view because there's other things going on. Speaking of large views and other world things going on, you know that we live, our age is characterized theologically in in different ways, but one of the ways it's characterized is called the time of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles, Luke's Gospel talks about, Paul talks about in Romans 11. Now depending on your uh, theological point of view, uh, whether you're Calvinist or dispensational, whether you're amillennial or postmillennial or premillennial, uh, th- these, things have a, these things all bear on what you, th- you think of this. But Jesus says that there's this age, and, it's, and he calls it, the time of the Gentiles. And Paul says in Romans 11, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Now again, if you you have a theological perspective, Calvinist versus dispensationalist, you'll take this different ways. Um, This is my spiel. This is my take on this. God says on this large world scale, you and I live in the time in which he is primarily saving the nations. In the New Testament language, the ethnos, the ethnic groups around the world. God's saving today the nations. This is the church age. Now, there are Jews being saved, but the church is not characterized primarily by a Jewish ethnic group, but by a Gentile, mixed Gentile group. Paul says, though, that the day's coming when the full number of the Gentiles has come in. You and I don't know when it is. It's interesting, though. It's who it is, actually. When you think about this, the body of Christ, when a person trusts Christ today, he's added to the body of Christ. Or the church of Christ. And whether you see that as a building or a body, think of it this way. Uh, God's building this structure, a cathedral, his church. And when the last brick is inserted the, the structure's done or when the last stone is laid, or however you think of it when that last piece of molding is nailed in place the structure's done there's nothing left to add and the church is over it's filled and only then will god move on from the times of the gentiles to dealing with israel again when paul says all israel will be saved Or if it's the body, if you're thinking of the body of Christ, only when that last person that God has said, that completes my son's body, the church, only then will the time of the Gentiles be over. Not before. This is the big scale of things. We're often thinking on the minor, close to home, my life, what's going on with me personally. God's dealing with both, though, the large scale and the small scale. And sometimes when we're praying and asking God to accommodate things, He doesn't because what He's doing in our life is going to have impact on the larger world around us. Now, He's also doing things in our life micro-scale. And oftentimes, as you know, you feel ready to move on. You think the time's filled up and you're ready to move on long before God does. It is encouraging, though, at least for me, this perspective. Sometimes you'll feel like you're waiting and waiting and waiting, like a child waits for Christmas morning when they get to open their presents. It feels like it will never come. You're waiting for some change in your life and it seems like it will never come and then what happens? Lo and behold, it's there. It's Christmas morning and you get to open the presents. And most often i found in my life that I'm waiting and waiting. John spoke on waiting a couple weeks ago. The fulfillment of the times, the filling up of the times of our life, sometimes it feels like we're just waiting. We think it's full. God, God knows it's not, but we think it isn't, so we feel like we're just waiting. God's filling up those times, though, before he moves us on. Whatever that looks like, whatever that period of time in our life looks like, it's not filled, and that's why we're not moving on. So when we're praying and when we're waiting, the nice thing is we can have this confidence that when the time's filled up, when God has shaken into our life everything he wanted for this time period, the change will come and generally it comes in a hurry. It comes suddenly. It comes quickly. Just like the incarnation. Some of the Christmas hymn talks about this, about the world waiting and waiting and waiting and then suddenly, lo and behold, an angel comes from heaven and tells an old man in the temple that he's going to have a son who's going to announce the Messiah and that same angel goes to a little gal up north in Galilee and says, you're going to have the Son of God and and then, you know, wise men follow this miraculous star. All of a sudden, the ball's rolling. It seemed like we're waiting and waiting and waiting and suddenly the time is fulfilled and God's economy changes and the ball's rolling and we need to be ready. But this Christmas season, I guess the thing that encourages me about this, and, and I feel like in my own life I'm waiting for God to bring about certain elements of change, and, and I tend to get impatient, but this reminds me, if God got it right on the incarnation. That is, if Jesus came to the earth at just the right time and he died for you tonight, just the right time, he appeared publicly just the right time, you know that whatever it is going on in your life and mine, God will get it right. He's not looking at the calendar per se or dates in that sense. He's looking at, is your life filled up with what he wanted for you in this time and in this place? And when it is, that's when you'll move on. So if you feel like you're on hold or if you feel like you're in those 400 silent years or if you feel like you're narny and it's always winter and never Christmas or you're a kid waiting for Christmas morning and it seems like it'll never get there, remind yourself of this. God is shaking into your life and mind everything he wants for us before he moves us on. So whatever that looks like, it's not a bad thing that you haven't moved on yet. It's a good thing. It means God's filling you up. He's filling up some area of your life that's not quite full yet. And when it's full, that period will be over and you'll move on to the next. That's an encouragement for me. Whatever you're looking at, whatever element of life you're thinking about, whatever you're waiting to happen or praying to God about, when you pray, and especially leading up to Christmas this year, ask yourself this, Lord, what are you pouring into my life? What elements of my life are not filled up yet? And how can I cooperate with you in this process? What do I need to be thinking about? And who do I need to be serving? And who do I need to be helping or learning from? What do you want to fill up? What does that look like for me? How do I participate in that? And then trust him that whatever that next thing is, not the incarnation that's happened, but the job change or the career move or the house or whatever, if he gets the big things right, He'll get the little things right too. We can trust him for those things. So this Christmas season, thank God that he knew when to send his son and then thank him that he knows when to fill up your life and mine and then move us on to that next stage, whatever that looks like, whatever that is. Let's pray. Lord, we grow anxious very often because we feel emotionally or in our own thoughts or mind we feel that we're ready to move on and yet the elements in our life that would produce change uh, look like they're just stuck in mud. Lord, thank you that you deal in this sense of filling up one thing before you start another and that in your time, in your way, in your economy, Lord, you're faithful to fill up the times of our life, the seasons of our life. Full up. Brimming over, Lord, to just the right point before you proceed with something else. Lord, we would get these things wrong almost every time, I'm sure. Lord, for whatever things, elements in life we're waiting for or looking for change in, help us this Christmas season to entrust those things to you and to remember that in the fullness of time you sent your Son. And in the fullness of time, he revealed himself to the world. And Lord, in the fullness of time, the the world and everything in it will be consummated in the reign of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're getting all those things right. Help us to entrust to you all the smaller things in our life. Lord, we know you do all things well. and I think of Psalm 31, Lord that our times are in your hand. Lord, fill them up as it pleases you and help us to rejoice in your timetable and in your sense of urgency, in your sense of filling our lives up with all that concerns us. In Jesus' name, amen.